Hello and welcome to a brand new year of Casting Views. Happy New Year, Lee. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Dan. Happy New Year to our lovely, lovely listeners, if you're still joining us in 2020. <laughs> what do you mean if they're still joining? Of course they're still joining. <laughs> True. If you are still with us, thank you. But yeah, Happy New Year. As it's the first episode of the new year, I'm calling this a new season. So welcome to season three. We got renewed. <laughs> 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 so we, we we hopefully won't end up like the walking dead you know where it's like season 11 and people are just fucking bored of us <laughs> i'll just wait i'll just wait season 10 really long <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah we we got renewed for at least another year how are you doing lou it's been it's so we're recording this what is it the 2nd of january so i'll be honest i'm shattered <laughs> yeah yeah it's been a it's been a nice christmas the thing is it's not really a christmas break is it because i feel like you do more in the period that you're like off work between Christmas and New Year than you would do if you were just like working normally anyway. So I feel like I'm more tired than I went into the break. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about Christmas and New Year, they're both holidays where you end up staying up late, eating loads and just feeling really tired. So I, I actually just feel more shattered, as, as I said. And I actually went in for work the three days between Christmas and New Year. I just feel, yeah, you know, with New Year's, especially, you know, so we were at your house for New Year's well, and Christmas. And by the time we got back and, and went to bed, it was like 3 a.m. and then you're up at nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the token that I feel is just like fat and lazy at the minute. Oh my word! Yeah, we had <laughs> pizza today, and I've I made the deal with myself that this is going to be the last unhealthy type week slash day for. I'm going to give me till April. I'm going to say till April. Going to give myself a good three months. But I hadn't seen a piece <laughs> of th- fruit for like a, a week and a half over Christmas. <laughs> Yeah, the only vegetables that were seen were the parsnips on the Christmas dinner plate, which nobody <laughs> yeah. touches anyway. <laughs> yeah. Raring to go for the, for this new app? Indeed, indeed. This one's going to be an interesting one. It is, actually. I, I had some good fun looking into this. Oh, before we move on, though, get any presents, any nice presents or anything? No, do you know what it is? It's like I'm starting to get old and more responsible <laughs> and adult, you know, so like I actually did get socks. Like, how, how depressing oh, and no. is that? Like, I'm at that age now. The whole reason to ask you was because I thought that's what you were going to say. So, yeah, you've basically just said now on air that you are old, you're getting old. So, yeah, so like I've hit the it. peak. Yeah, I hit the peak and it's all downhill from here. I just thought to myself that the peak would maybe come a little bit later on. But what can you do, apparently? Like I said, you've left the Lynx box sets long behind now. Those <laughs> in your teens. Left all the fun, interesting stuff. And now it is, yeah, just a lifetime of socks and jumpers. Welcome to the club. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, honestly, crap. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we'll get into the episode. Before we do, let's quickly hear from some friends. Did you grow up with a lack of parental supervision? Do you know all the lyrics to The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Remember Mayor McCheese and the Fry Guys? Have an inexplicable love for the California Raisins? Can you remember Madonna's original face? Then you might be a part of the Doom Generation. Laugh until you cry with us each week as we stumble blindly through the memories of the movie and other random things that doomed us to be the salty, sarcastic, sardonic ladies you want to hang with. You know us. You love us. You can't f***ing live without us. Doom Generation. Available everywhere you find podcasts. And we're back. So this episode, I actually think, and we won't say the other ideas, but I've told you the ideas. I think we could probably make this a theme month. Do you think we can yeah, do that? I, I yeah, I think you probably could. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, let's so, do definitely. it. All right, no spoilers. I had this idea. So actually, tell you what, let's, let's say what it is. We are going to cover promotional slash marketing fails or controversies or yeah. backfires, really. And I'll be honest with you, I had this idea 
for quite a while. I've had this on my board for a few months, but what's made me do it is, have you seen that Netflix documentary? I think it's called Pepsi Where's My Jet. I have, and I knew about this before the series. (laughs) So it's a funny one because I didn't know about this one, but I watched it and then I thought, do you know what? Let's do it. Let, let's do this because it's now that it feels like a right time to do it. So I tell you what, I can go into some of the, the details after, but do you want to do you want to explain what in a nutshell kind of what this was? Yeah. So basically, Pepsi ran a marketing campaign that basically released Pepsi points. So it was basically like a loyalty point system, isn't it? Is, is yeah. the most basic way to describe it. And you could redeem your Pepsi points for particular prizes. So if you gathered enough Pepsi points, you could turn around take them straight back to Pepsi and then redeem prizes. Now you would think that prizes would be standard in nature. It's a little bit like McDonald's Monopoly, isn't it? You might win a headphone or like something when you you gather enough of those little online tokens. More chicken McNuggets. Yeah. However, in the advert, Pepsi had like a fighter jet. Was it landing in like a schoolyard? No, it was, I think it was on the kids' front garden and sorry yeah taking off to go to school yeah sorry that's yeah sorry you're right you're right so the advert includes a jet landing in front of this kid's house in the garden and then pepsi actually put a value of points on the jet didn't they they did yes seven million seven million pepsi points so everybody obviously must have thought wow seven million pepsi points that's impossible no <laughs> And this is where the documentary comes in. So I'm not going to have all the details of it, but I I really do implore you, if you haven't watched it, watch it, because it's a fascinating watch, isn't it? Yeah, it's unbelievable. And it's just, it is just a hilarious story. <laughs> it's a four-part documentary. And even if you know it, and I've then looked at the story online, and the documentary has a lot more stuff in it than you'll see online. If it's okay with you now, I'll jump. I'll jump back in here now. Yeah, tell us about John Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's actually in 1996, Pepsi began this loyalty program where you could earn Pepsi points, which is a great name anyway, Pepsi points. And like you said, you could trade in, and it was called Drink Pepsi, Get Stuff. I mean, you can't get more on the nose than that, right? <laughs> There was a television commercial for the program. And as you said, it showed a school kid flying a Harrier jet to school. At the time, the jump jet was, uh, or the Harrier jet was valued at $37.4 million. So I think it's keen to remember (laughs) that. So let's let's round it down. Let's be generous. It was $37 million, which could be redeemed for 7 million Pepsi points. Now, one teen who was obviously a dreamer and ambitious person, and he was obviously, he was quite, what's the word, like a a go-getter and achiever because he did a lot of mountain climbing, didn't he? And he he would work in the holidays, earn enough money and go off and do these fantastic adventures. He saw the advert and he said straight away, I want that. He wanted the check. (laughs) Fortunately, through his mountain climbing, he knew this guy who was like a, a wealthy investor And he went to this guy and said, look, let's do this. And what I loved about this is he wasn't, he didn't either send him away and say, look, no, you're being stupid or yeah, all right, let's do it. He actually asked him to come at him with a business plan, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And he does so much working out. Ultimately, going backwards and forwards, he then realised he wasn't going to be able to do it potentially because I've got it here. So a 12-pack of Pepsi was worth five points, meaning that Leonard would have to consume nearly 17 million cans to reach the mark. So that's where he was then doing his business plan because he was working out how many people he could hire to buy the Cokes 
a, a warehouse to store it in, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> then they worked out like some of the, what would happen if like, what if they got to 6,999,000 tokens and then the promotion stopped? What would they do there? <laughs> anyway, to cut a long story short, it got to the point where they said they didn't think they could do it or the investor said, look, no, we, we can't do this. Then he was just in a shop and he saw there was a catalogue and I think there was a loophole in it where you could you only needed to submit 15 points to get a gift and you could buy the rest of them for 10 cents. So basically worked out that they could then get it with $700,000. Yeah, so I think, yeah, you're right. You only needed 15 Pepsi Point tags from a physical product to submit, and then you could put cash value down to buy the rest of the points, basically. Yeah, so from uh, 17 million cans to basically $700,000, they could buy it. Again, you know, I'm going to jump a long way here, but this investor then sort of said, well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we can do that. I've got the money now. And again, you know, because my brain's going to be scattered and it's going to go here, there and everywhere. This story is brilliant because it's not just this kid taking on Pepsi. It also involves the Pentagon, doesn't it? Because they they yeah. contact them yeah. about, <laughs> could they legally own it? Yeah. And I think the answer was yes, as long as it was demilitarized. Yeah. And then I think there was also something about it not being able to do like a vertical takeoff. So like that also needed to be deactivated or for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they basically turned around and said that they, they could technically legally own it, but yeah, it just couldn't have any missiles or do a vertical takeoff. <laughs> so he gets a check, posts it off. Now, initially... PepsiCo refused the offer, saying that there is no way anyone could take this seriously. They said they put it in as a bit of fun. Now, <laughs> to be fair, the guy, Jason Leonard. Um, um, John Leonard, I think. John Leonard and his buddy, Todd Hoffman. Yeah. They knew that there was a possibility there. That's what they did. But however, they were saying that because it was there, there was no caveats saying that this isn't a genuine offer, that this means if we do qualify we can have it so they sent the check what did strike me though in this documentary was how pepsi did and i'm obviously we're talking about the people who are involved in it now it might not be with the company but how they were almost like laughing at this kid yeah yeah and almost you know almost like conspiring like how can we not destroy him but almost like you know getting all these huge lawyers about how they can defeat this this claim because what they did was they sent back a letter to him saying thanks for the effort Ha ha ha, it was meant to be a joke. For your troubles, here's a coupon for two cases of Pepsi. (laughs) Which does feel like a bit of slap in the face, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, this is the thing. I think the whole point and the whole whole issue here really was the fact that there was absolutely no disclaimer in the advert. Yeah, and it was that response that then made them say, right, we're going after Pepsi. And they started to try sue them, didn't they? Yeah, Yeah. Now, on that, Pepsi then tried to counter sue. Yeah, they did. They did. <laughs> it was on the basis of trying to defraud them, wasn't it? Because they were saying that basically this kid is almost trying to blackmail them. Now yeah, because... yeah, yeah. And they went to a meeting, didn't they? And allegedly, because a couple of people were saying they don't believe it, but allegedly they were offered to settle out of court for 750000 to a million dollars. It's not a bad settlement. To be yeah, fair, is which it? <laughs> if you think 1996 as well, someone listening yeah. will be able to adjust it. But they said no. He said, no, he wanted to go for it. So part of me thinks, I want to slap you. Part of me thinks, fair go, fair, fair do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, if I'm being honest, I think that he he made, at the time, he made the right decision. 
I think I would have made that decision because there was nothing really at this point that would make you think, how are they going to get away with this, basically? Like, you'd think they're, in a, they're backed into a corner. They then end up trying to sue them, but it never went to court because you get the impression that they allege that Pepsi flexed their muscles to get the, a judge and a, a sort of have it heard in New York where they were based and get a yeah. judge who was very pro-big company, wasn't she? Yeah, they did. Yeah, so the claim alleged both uh, from uh, Leonard and Hoffman claimed both breach of contract and fraud. The case was originally brought in Florida, but eventually heard in New York. The defendant PepsiCo moved for summary judgment pursuant to federal rule of civil procedure 56. Among other claims made, Leonard claimed that a federal judge was incapable of deciding on the matter and that instead the decision had to be made by a jury consisting of members of the Pepsi generation to whom the advert would constitute an offer. And again, the backdrop to this was, yeah, Pepsi were very much going for the we're the hip young. It's a drink of the younger generation, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, Leonard's claims were denied. Uh, money recovery was denied on several grounds, including the advertisement featuring the jet did not constitute an offer under the restatement of contracts. The court found that even if the advertisement had been an offer, no reasonable person would have believed that the company seriously intended to convey a jet worth roughly $37.4 million for 700000 And the value of the alleged contract meant that it fell under the provisions of the statute of frauds, but the statute's requirement for written agreement between both parties was not fulfilled, so a contract had not been formed. In justifying its conclusion that the commercial was evidently done in jest and that the notion of travelling to school in a Harry jet is an exaggerated adolescent fantasy, the court made several observations regard regarding the nature and content of the commercial, including the callow youth featured in the commercial is highly improbable pilot, one who could barely be trusted with the keys to his parents' car, much less surprised aircraft of the United States, uh, Marine Corps. The teenagers comment that flying a Harrier jet to school sure beats the bus, evinces an improbably insouciant attitude towards the relative difficulty and danger of piloting a fighter plane in a residential area, and no school would provide a landing space for a student's fighter jet or condone the disruption that the jet use, course, jets use would cause. Oh, and, and sorry, and just to answer the thing about fraud, because Pepsi never cashed the check, there was no case for fraud. Now, for me, a couple of things happened, and, and we'll talk about it and what your view on this is, because whilst this ne doesn't necessarily mean it's not one that backfired on Pepsi, I think it did backfire in sense of the negativity and how I think competitions now probably are having to be run. Yeah. So there were two things that stood out. One, the commercial ran in Canada before it ran in America. And on that, it did put something underneath, didn't it? It said something along the lines of, I'd need to check, I thought I had it, but I think it did say that it either wasn't for offer or that it was a high amount. I can't remember, but ultimately in Canada, they, they added a disclaimer. Yeah, so I think afterwards, the, the amendments that they'd made to the ad is they continued to run it and then they increased the number of Pepsi points that would be required to 700 million, which works out at $70 million. And then they also put a disclaimer on it being like, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but this is the thing as well. At the end, the creative guy who was obviously, you could tell he was pissed off because he was saying everyone was blaming us. And that, you know, if you went on forums, they were saying those creative guys really screwed Pepsi over. He goes, let me show you what we wanted to run. And he pulls out a bit of paper with the original draft on it. And it had... 700 million points under it oh really wow yeah 
But one of the Pepsi company execs said it was too hard to read on screen as there were too many zeros. It made the font really small. <laughs> so they dropped it. The creative dropped it down to 70 million, but they said it's still too hard. So they then dropped it to seven. Now, Pepsi themselves say they don't remember this conversation. Right. <laughs> However, the creative company initially did want to have it for 700 million points. So long story sh- short, kid's a dreamer tries to get the Harrier jet because he's saying there's nothing to suit it. Oh, and the other brilliant thing about it, so we said not only does it bring in the the White House or the Pentagon, there was some shadowy arms dealer involved in it. Do you you remember that bit of the story? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Where they were trying to find out about the probability of getting a Harrier jet, weren't they? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. It is actually a hilarious story. A hilarious story. What's your view on, on this promotion? If I'm being honest, I think that the judgment in and of itself is clutching at straws and attempting to get Pepsi out of trouble, if if you're asking me personally. So do you know where it says it was found that the advertisement featuring the jet did not constitute an offer? So obviously the way that we do, do law in this country and the way that, that other countries do law is obviously hugely different. However, from my perspective, they advertised the jet... They put a value on the jet for it to be redeemed. And at no point did they state that it would be a joke. Did they, At no point, yes, they had a kid landing a Harrier jump jet and they had a person doing this and doing it. But there was at no point anything for me that would be indicative of the fact that they're telling you this is a joke. They have put it on screen. They have put the value on the item and they've turned around and says, you can redeem it for this jet and this is how many points you need. So it reminds me, and this is so nerdy because I'm going back to like my law days now. So there was a case in like 1890 or something like that in this country. And it was all about an offer for contract and like how sincere a contract offer was. So if I remember rightly, the case was called the Carbolic Smoke Ball. Long story short, it's basically this company that's developed this thing that you take a puff from and it stops influenza and all of these different ailments. And it says in the advert for the smoke ball, that they've put £100 in a bank or £1,000 in a bank account and they will give anybody who contracts influenza or whatever it is £100 if they contract influenza whilst using this item. And they said, we've put £1,000 in the bank because we're so sure that this won't happen. Yeah. I can't remember what her name was. I think it's like Carlil or Carlisle or something like that was the name of the woman. She contracted influenza. And she took them to court and she turned around and said, well, no, because, you know, you said that you would pay out. And the court decided that because they had said that we've put away a thousand pounds, this is the amount of money you will get. And this is what it is. They couldn't go back on it because they had put that offer down. So in my mind, it kind of operates in the same way as this does. They have put a number of tokens to redeem for the Harrier jet. How can you go back on it on the basis that you're taking the piss when you've not got any disclaimer? Do you remember Red Bull had to do it, where it says Red Bull gives you wings and they got in trouble and then all of the adverts have two eyes because it's wings spelled incorrectly. So what does that yeah. mean? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. To me, the Pepsi should have been punished because that's what they deserved because they knew what they were doing. If they said, oh, it's a joke, they would have put in big capital letters at the bottom, like you said, your 700 million points or a bazillion tokens, wouldn't you? You would have made a number of tokens up and you would have yeah. made a word up for that number of... Do you know what I mean? It, it just doesn't make any sense to this me. This is it. For me, I'm kind of in two minds about this because one is they did cock it up because in Canada, it ran with a disclaimer yeah. for a start. So why did it run with a disclaimer in Canada? That makes me think whoever had that realised that they needed 
yeah. to, to make it clear. Secondly, the thing about it being improbable a kid, the seven million points wasn't to have a kid fly the Harrier jet for you. It was no, for you exactly. to own it. So yeah. what if it was a 50-year-old adult who was yeah, trying yeah. to do that? What would they have said to them? Or what if it was just a lorry delivering a Harrier jump jet to your house? And it's just parked on your lawn. Like, would there have been a difference there then? Because to me, there's no real difference. Because again, like you said, it's about ownership. It's not about having somebody take you to and from and be. Yeah, you're not buying. You're not. You're not buying the twelve-year-old kid who who, who wants to go (laughs) scoring. Oh, and the fact that the creative team wanted to put the seven hundred million shows that they knew there was a chance. So that that's the against them. However, on the other side, I'm thinking: Did they really think like deep down? these lawyers and solicitors because if you if you watch a program then a whole bunch of people and i think one of the wasn't it one of the lawyers who's now in prison you know you're thinking are they trying to take advantage of a a kid or b trying to make a name for themselves against a big company yeah because there was a i'm not i'm not going to say because there wasn't a gap to put their foot in to do that i do think pepsi ballsed up and you know when you listen to them in the documentary you knew they were they were laughing at one point. They said somebody suggested cashing a check and sending him a model of a jump jet. <laughs> yeah. Now I mean, come yeah. on, it's, it's like a twenty-year-old kid who's, who's or a nineteen-year-old kid who's doing this, and you're talking like that. Yeah. Where do you stop? Because you know, if the rumours were true, they were offering up to a million dollars to that kid, and it's like I probably would have taken that in nineteen ninety-six. Yeah. However, but like I said, I think that he made the right decision at the time because there was nothing to suggest that you weren't correct in that situation. This is what the problem is. The fact that Pepsi wanted to settle with him out of court suggests that they're looking at it and thinking it's cheaper to give him a million dollars than to have him pursue us. So in my mind, Pepsi are looking at it from the risk of we've there's a chance that we've got to give him a fucking jump jet. Like there's a chance. And that to me is what's corrupt. Because again, you read the judgment and even in the comment, it, it to me, it's just an excuse. So... So everything about the judgment to me looks like an excuse to get Pepsi out of trouble as opposed to do justice to the actual original campaign. I think it's a piss take. Yeah, and like I said, if if you watch the documentary, well, and again, it's from their side, their opinion, but I think they do say that because it was moved to New York because of the judge that was chosen, it was going to favour the big company. Yeah. And yeah, what they were saying is that regarding it, they were saying with the the jump jet by demilitarising it, it would have stripped the ability to land off, land and take off vertically. But again, I don't think at any point they were saying, we're going to fly this. He's not yeah. going to go down to the local shopping mall. So ultimately, I was disappointed as well. I think they should have done it. And they, they could have probably run a long way of it. Or maybe they could have offered him a job. Yeah, yeah. You turn it around and say, okay, look, we could give him a salary or we could give him a job and say, right, make him part of the Pepsi generation. Because you, you know, at the time, Pepsi were trying to go massive. They were getting all the big stuff like that. Michael Jackson advertising for them, <laughs> Cindy Crawford. They were really spending the cash. And it's like, you know, have a laugh at yourself and make this kid famous in his own right or give him the money or give him the prestige of saying, look, yeah, you kind of beat us. But look, you know, honestly, we can't do that. How about you? we offer you a job on the board of Pepsi or something, you know, <laughs> like a non-exec. Yeah. Now, something that did come up in there as well is that Michael Avenatti, the lawyer who's in prison, he, they then did some real, because again, this was before the day of the, inter, uh, the age of the internet, really. So he then did dig in and Pepsi were involved in another massively disastrous promotion. I don't know if you saw that in the Philippines. Yes. Lots of people died. 
Yeah, well, this was something they called um, number fever. So basically what they would do, because Coke was so prevalent in the Philippines, under the lids of the bottles of Coke, there would be a number and there would be a number drawn. I, I don't know if it was weekly or monthly. And basically you would win a prize money from 100 pesos to a million pesos. Things went wrong when accidentally they printed 600,000 bottle caps with a lucky number for the grand prize. They said, no, we can't pay this out. We're not doing it. And it caused riots. I think yeah. Pepsi delivery trucks were like firebombed. Yeah. There was a grenade, I think, thrown into one of the Pepsi bottling buildings. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, and five people, I think, including a child, at least five people died because riots broke out. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's um, it just goes to show how, you know, now we do laugh at advertising and all the T's and C's and stuff, but you can see it's got to have been a real iteration of problems and mistakes that have happened to get us to this point. Yeah. And my final thing on this before we move on is in it again, yeah, one of the guys who worked for Pepsi, I don't know if he still does, but said his kid is now at uni studying law and called him up and said, do you know something about Pepsi and a Harriet yet? Because now <laughs> it is apparently used in the law. It's it's a um, example case. Yeah, I don't know. Do you know, I said that I had like context of this before. I don't know if it was something that would have been talked about at uni when I was studying law to begin with. I couldn't tell you, but I definitely knew about this beforehand. And you know what? Just scanning back as well. Do you know to the bit where it talks about, oh, well, there's not an expectation that you could land at school and that sort of thing. If they had somebody delivering a new car in the advert. So let's say that all of the parameters of the advert were the same, but they replaced the jump jet with the car. You a wouldn't, Ferrari. Yeah, a Ferrari. You wouldn't expect them to get away on the basis that, oh, it's not actually a racing driver who's going to turn up in the Ferrari and deliver it to your house and take you to school. I feel like that wouldn't be an acceptable excuse and reason for you not to pay out on that prize. I just feel like if you replace a Harrier jet with anything that's more day-to-day -day reasonable, you turn around and think it's it would be r ridiculous for them to use that as an excuse as to why yeah. you're not paying out on that prize. I think he got stiffed, to be honest. And I think yeah. the courts stuck up for Pepsi. Yeah, and yeah, I'm following on from what you said. Yeah, absolutely. Because then, you know, do, do you then go through the other catalogue and say, if a jacket is being worn by a kid in the house, are they then saying that that jacket can only be worn by a kid in our house? You can't wear it outside. Yeah, because exactly. basically they're saying that whatever happened in that commercial is, like, like I said, at no point, I think, did he say, yeah, I want to use it to commute to school. No, he, he yeah. wants a job jet. You you told me you've put a value of tokens on that product item. Here you go. Here's the money. Yeah. For me, what stands out is just the fact that, like I said, I can't do enough. It is a really interesting. It's a four-parter, and, and, and I actually found it quite exciting to watch, which is a bizarre thing to say. So Pepsi. Oh, and one thing, actually, because, you know, let's be fair, so Coke coca-cola as well their mistake was so did you know about the pepsi challenge they used to do years ago it was um they would go blind taste uh, in the members of the public get them to blind taste pepsi and coke and well, pick which one they prove which one they prefer and i think most people preferred pepsi long and short of it is there's some psychology saying that people would prefer the sweeter drink in a sip even if they wouldn't like to drink a whole can of it but if you're sipping something you'll go for the sweet one which pepsi was coke then said we've got to do something so launched a, a new recipe and they called it new coke but because classic coke was so popular and so loved people actually hated or disliked the new one whether it was because of the taste or the fact they called it new and i, I think again 
like psychologists are saying, well, you're then saying that the previous hundred years is rubbish and you've made a better version. And it was so bad that they then had to reverse it and say, no, we're going back to what we now call classic Coke. <laughs> now, some people are saying, was this a really clever double bluff by saying introducing a product that people don't like and then introducing the favorite back, which meant people rushed to buy that again. Was that their aim all the time? But Coke has said it wasn't. Yeah, they did make the mistake. But yeah, so yeah, Pepsi and Coke both doing marketing blunders there. So yeah, we are on the side of Mr. Len- uh, John Leonard then, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we are on the side of John Leonard because he should have had his $32 million fucking Harrier turn up to his house. Is yeah. what should have happened. And you know what? It doesn't matter if it's demilitarized or not. If it had cannons on it, it should have had cannons on it when it got delivered to him. <laughs> <laughs> so John Leonard, if anyone knows John Leonard or you are John Leonard who tried to do this, get in touch because we, we're on your side. And yeah, we admire kind of what you tried to do. See, now, do you know what you should have had? Do you know what Coca-Cola should have done? Coca-Cola should have run an advert that then parodied that and it had like an Abrams tank rolling through <laughs> a town and then at the bottom of the advert said, it's literally a joke, duh. And that would have <laughs> parodied all of Pepsi. Coke would have been all of a sudden. Oh, what an amazing marketing opportunity missed. Or they could have done a pallet of Pepsi at 700 million points or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, what have you got? Well, sticking with Pepsi. Oh, yeah, I know. Now, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember any recent scandals with Pepsi over the last few years? So, in 2017, there were obviously a number of riots and protests in the United States involving the Black Lives Matter movement. So, obviously, relatively serious protests um, across the country. And Pepsi decided to use Kendall Jenner in an advert. So, number one, I guess, in in my mind, I wouldn't choose to use a Kardashian unironically in an advert to begin with. But hey, Hope's Pepsi's decision. She's huge at the time. She still is. And the advert basically consisted of like a line of like riot police and a line of protesters coming face to face. And Kendall Jenner quietly walks through the crowd in slow motion, walks up to a rather handsome police officer, I must say, and hands him a Pepsi uniting both the protesters and the police at a time in which, in the real world, protesters had been clashing with police for months, right? For months. Following a really serious incident. Yes, following a particularly serious incident. And Pepsi have turned around and almost kind of like parodied it. It obviously didn't go down very well. They actually pulled the advert. Now, for context, I think that the fact that they pulled it so quickly... Um, especially modern day for a company who's as big as Pepsi, they pulled it within 24 hours because that was how bad the backlash was. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can obviously still find it online. And obviously it was criticized for painting a privileged white model as a peacemaker between civil rights activists and police. Kendall Jenner actually did feel really bad after the advert because I guess from in her mind, she's just being paid to turn up and do an advert. And, you know, she's a Kardashian. I can't turn around and say that she's probably the most, like, sharp of anybody. You know, I don't know the girl. I'm I'm not sure. But, you know, from what we've seen of keeping up with the Kardashians, um, she turned around and said, I, I knew if I knew that this was the outcome, I would have never have done something like this. However, I would have said, you know, did you not think at the time, like, we're trying to solve peace between police yeah. where people have died? Um, with with a Pepsi, did you not watch the advert in the edit, and did nobody look at it and think, "Is this really a good idea with what's going on at the minute?" Like, yeah, it's current. It's current. Like, I imagine the marketing department were, were looking at each other, being like, 
but it's so current. Imagine that. Like everybody's yeah. going to be able to relate yeah. to this advert. And in actual fact, what they did is take the piss out of something really serious. Yeah. And yeah, it was it, it it was honestly it was diabolical with the way that it was presented. It was utterly awful. It was in the news everywhere you turned. And always seems to be Pepsi as well. Yeah, well, I think they were, again, trying to go for this Pepsi generation kind of thing. It was appealing to a younger kind of that, what's the word? It's like trying to ride the modern wave of saying, right, this is what the young people are doing. We need to to be in that. Now, for me, I don't necessarily have the issue with it being Kendall Jenner. As you said, she's going to have been paid to do it. If it wasn't her, it would have been anyone. And the effect would still be the same. For me, the issue is Pepsi thinking they are, almost like godlike and pepsi can solve the conflict you yeah. know that that that's what it is it's a and i like pepsi you know i, I do like pepsi i'm not saying that i haven't got a thing against them but it's like you sell a can of soda get involved in serious things you could have done an advert saying you know we stand with the protest we we agree you know we are behind the protest or we we want to see change made but don't make a can of soda the item that brings peace to a, a an inflammatory situation. That's what yeah, it is for yeah, me. So it yeah. could have been anyone. It could have been, uh, I, I don't know, it could have been Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean, you know, in the advert. <laughs> it's not who it was for me. It was the the act of what they were sh- trying to suggest. Yeah, that's what it is. And, and like I said, I, I think that what they did is they almost parodied what was a very real, very, very serious situation at the time. And I think that that's what really the problem was. Like People looked at it and thought you're taking the piss by turning around and promoting your drink as something that's all of a sudden going to change like the social situation in the States at the time. It, it was it was just really weird. And And again, it kind of boggles my mind as to why and how marketing departments considering all of these marketing people must be paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year surely right yeah they must be how they manage to sit down and think this is the best idea for us right now and you know if we're looking sorry can i just say what focus groups did they use like when you have to go and show these adverts to focus groups right you have to go out and show people like who did they show it to well, do you think they did, or do you think they thought we've got a brilliant idea? Let's get this out as quickly as we can. Yeah, maybe it was rush. Maybe it was a rush job, and they had to get it out. But I just thought to myself, if you'd have shown it to anyone beforehand, like of all the people that these campaigns must have to go through, all the hands they must have to pass through, how on earth did nobody at some point? And maybe they did, and they just turned around and said, "Nah, it won't be like that because that's not what we're trying to what we're trying to do." But I even think with the intention, you can't even really defend the intention behind this advert. That's what the problem is. Exactly. For me, it's not like, you know, if you went back maybe 20, 30 years and obviously long before that, you could argue that people, the creatives are possibly detached, you know, they're wealthy, older, maybe males, and they don't really know what's happening in society these days. I would like to think most companies nowadays, especially a company that's so of the time, like a Pepsi or a Coke, etc., would have their finger on the pulse Yeah. In in terms of who they've got involved in advertising campaigns and yeah. it's just so misguided and I, and I kind of almost though I, I do feel for the person who's come up with the advert because they must think oh we've done something brilliant we've done something really meaningful and maybe if it was for any other service or something maybe you'd get away with it but they've done it for Pepsi so I wonder who the person who's come up with it what's happened to them or what they yeah. must think you know <laughs> it's, it's just really it's just yeah it was it was shocking in a sense of or offensive in the sense of you're trying to say this sugary drink 
is going to bring peace. Uh, uh, that's that's yeah, that's what it is for me. Very misguided, ill ill judged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, and yeah, like I said, I don't know what it is with Pepsi's marketing department, but they haven't made a fuck up since. Not that I can think. <laughs> I know it's been five years, but, but they've not made a fuck up since. So maybe they're maybe they're getting back on the right. I haven't right seen thing. any maybe... adverts since. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. The mar- marketing department, they were just like, right, we'll just sack that off. We're big enough as is. <laughs> do you have another? Or shall I go to my next one? I, I do have another one. So I don't know if you've heard about this, but this is the Air Pass. So this was the American Airlines, um, like frequent flyers pass. Have you heard about this? Oh, what? Is that a recent one? No, this was in the 1980s. Oh, no, go for it. No, I don't think I have. So basically, it was a membership-based discount program offered by American Airlines to frequent flyers, and it was launched in 1981. Now, what it basically did is it offered unlimited first-class travel on any of the airline's flights worldwide, and a lifetime membership was priced at $250,000. You could also buy an additional pass for you. So that was like for a spouse as like a companion for an additional 150000 Okay. So a total of 66 air passes were reported to have been sold under the unlimited travel conditions. And we actually know who some of them are. So Mark Cuban, I don't know if you know Mark Cuban. Is he on like no. the American Shark Tank? I think. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But he's like a proper billionaire type from what I understand. So he was amongst one of the people that bought them back in the 80s. So they were launched um, in 81 at $250,000 and then increased in increments over the course of a number of years. So in 1990, it went to one point uh, one. Sorry, it went to basically bang on a million dollars. So that was the equivalent of about two million dollars in 2021, which I guess for unlimited first class air travel, if you've got that much money to drop, how much is a first class ticket? You know, if if you wanted to go to the States, you'd be paying like tens of thousands of dollars for them, wouldn't you? I'd, I'd think so. Yeah. So probably worth it if you travel a lot yeah yeah. however (laughs) what american airlines failed to understand is how often the people that did buy the air passes would be traveling and how far they would be traveling so some of them just used to ride the planes for fun Um, (laughs) and obviously they were getting the seat effectively for free so basically american airlines had run the campaign because they needed a cash injection they were in the shit and that's why they decided to sell these passes now, obviously, if you're sitting at $250,000, I don't know what the cost of the average first class fare was back in the 80s, but $250,000 is a big chunk of money back in 1981. Yep. And I don't think they realized just how many miles their, their 66 pass holders would actually be flying. So they were basically losing money on the air passes over a number of years they actually had a scandal where they ended up trying to terminate so they went to courts and huge solicitors to see if they could terminate people's passes and if there was anywhere in their contracts where they had the ability to cancel pass holders passes because they were losing that much money i think mark cuban actually did have his terminated in the end (laughs) And basically, over a long number of years, again, American Airlines were in a lot of trouble. And there was a load of claims that were brought against them for their attempts to cancel passes. However, they filed for bankruptcy and the claims were never resolved to get away with it. Uh, There's a number of like instances. It's unbelievable. So this person here is Jack's Room Jr., a Dallas-based marketing executive paid $356,000 for his unlimited air pass and companion pass. So that's the two passes together. Yeah. And he traveled nearly 38 million (laughs) miles. (laughs) So 
as you can imagine, that's a lot of miles for somebody to be taking up a first class seat and you not getting yeah. paid for it. So this is what yeah. I mean. Over when you look at some of the miles that some of these people did, because obviously this ran for years and years, and people and and the nature of the people that are buying them are only people surely that are going to be traveling the world. This is business people this is executives this is sports people potentially these are people that are going to be all over the world all year round and you're yeah. giving them now an excuse oh i want to go to barbados i'm going to do it first class because it's free and i can take my partner with me but yeah huge scandal like i said american airlines ended up declaring bankruptcy and so all of the cases that were brought against them ended up just basically crashing and burning um huge fuck up because they lost so much money annually and like i said people were literally doing millions and millions of air miles a year it was unbelievable so sorry did you say is there a figure to how much they think they lost sorry because of this is that is i did that... see it somewhere but i think that there was a figure per air pass where they were losing like five hundred thousand right. dollars per pass or something wow. like that because the thing point. is as well isn't basically like the first class of business class is subsidizing like or, or, or paying for the like the the rest of the flight as well isn't it so if you're not getting that money in yeah it's funny because my next story is airline related as well yeah it's one of those ones where i kind of feel for the airline here because they tr- they've done something they think could be really useful but i think yeah they've then not thought it through and think people would take advantage of it whereas people that a lot of people are selfish or not even selfish they're gonna they're gonna say right this is what's coming to me i'm gonna use it you yeah, know, they yeah. probably just didn't think. I think what they probably thought was people would use it at the same rate. But what yeah. people are then doing is like saying, no, I can now do that extra two or three flights a year that I've always wanted to do, but could never afford to. Yeah, yeah, it was unbelievable. But the thing is, is what they did is they literally people would turn up at airports and they literally handed them letters in person saying that their passes had been terminated and they just accused them of fraud. Wow. <laughs> so that's that's literally what it was. You you literally just turned up for your flight. They handed you a letter and they turned around and said, "Oh yeah, by the way, you're using it fraudulently." But and the, and their their basically their only justification was for it was you're using it too much. But again, there was nothing in the contract that stipulated a maximum limit or a number of air miles that you could use per quarter or per six months or per year or whatever it might have been. Yeah. So as a result, they had no reasonable justification to turn around and terminate any of those passes anyway. But yeah, like I said, ultimately they declared bankruptcy, but American Airlines still exist. It's like when a company declares bankruptcy and kind of like fakes it, don't they? It's astonishing that they didn't put a caveat, even if it was like you can have a maximum of 10 a year, you know, or something like that. Yeah. Because then you could always then try to revise the terms and conditions. But if you've never put anything in in the first place, you've intended for it to be used. Yeah, however many times yeah. hell, hell they want you know exactly so. exactly crazy Sorry, and, and how much was the past it was two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to begin with and then it went up in increments so i think it went to six hundred thousand which was the equivalent of like a million dollars then it went to a million dollars at the time which modern day equivalent is like nearly two million i think so i do wonder then because i was thinking how, how much the flights would have been because i was thinking oh you know the people that bought it then maybe couldn't afford to do it but no if you're if you're dropping that amount you've got the money but maybe you're just saying right now and like i said maybe if you can then buy it for a partner you can say right let's do the let's do it once a month twice a yeah. month maybe yeah and that's the thing it's like you said the airlines when you fly economy with an airline like let's say you're doing a transatlantic flight when you fly economy with that airline they are making no money on you they don't make money. The first class of business class and the suites and all of that sort of thing on your Emirates plane, because that person on that Emirates plane is paying £30,000 or $30,000 for that flight. 
with that suite, they are paying the same amount that 50 people sat in economy yeah. are paying for their ticket. And imagine all of a sudden you have to take it, having a plane take off and literally making zero money, but not making so much money. You're actually losing money because you're now not making any money on the fact that those seats are free. Yeah. So you're not <laughs> now not subsidizing the economy tickets. Exactly. So you're technically giving away exactly. the economy for free as well. Yeah. yeah. Shocking. Shocking. And yet I'd classify that as a backfired. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Hilarious story. Right. I've got one sort of in-depth one and then I've got a couple of quick fire ones, but I really do want to do the in-depth one because this is one that I remember. It's a British based one, although the company is American owned. And again, it is linked to airlines. So I don't know if you ever knew of this, you know, the Hoover promo. No, I don't okay. know what Hoover's <laughs> are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Hoover, um, I think it's key to say, so this was in the, the 90, this one, I think 91, possibly 92. You have to remember, this was before like Dyson and Hoover were the brand in this country. So much so that, you know, like if you want to look something up on the internet, you say, I'll Google it. It was by Hoover when it's actually a vacuum cleaner. So whatever brand you had, people yeah. would say, oh, I'm going to get the Hoover out. And we still yeah. do say now, we don't we? Do, yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah. You know, yeah. you might have a Dyson, a Vax, a Sharp, but you'll say I'll get the Hoover out. Anyway, they were massive. The late 80s, they dominated it. However, in a weird sort of coincidental fate as we are now, the UK was entering a recession. And Hoover were a US-based company with a large presence in the UK. They started to face competition from Dyson. One of the ill-fated products Hoover did do was a talking vacuum that warned users when to change the bag, which I think would actually be fantastic. So I don't know why that failed. Yeah. Between 1987 and 92, Hoover's profits fell from 147 million to 74 million. So basically lost 50% in five years. And in short order, excess inventory began to pile up in its warehouses and its 50% market share in England dwindled. So they needed to do something dramatic there and attention grabbing. Here we go. In the early months of 91, Hoover's UK branch was approached by a tiny, now defunct travel agency called JSI Travel. Like Hoover, JSI were feeling the squeeze of the recession and were looking for a way to offload cheap flights. They pitched, they pitched the company an idea. A sales promotion where anyone who spent more than £100, today that would be US dollars on a Hoover product at a qualifying store would get two free round trip tickets to somewhere in Europe. On paper, it seemed win-win. Hoover would get rid of its inventory and boost sales and JSI would would sell flights in bulk to Hoover and who'd handle the bookings. Anyway, Hoover knew that if everyone who bought a product applied for this, it'd be in trouble. So it made the process of obtaining the flights as annoyingly time-consuming as possible. So in order, it was you buy a product for £100 or more. You have to mail in a receipt and application within 14 days of purchase. Hoover sends you a registration form, which you've got 14 days to send back. Hoover then sends a travel voucher, which the customer has 30 days to select three departure airport dates and destination combinations. Hoover had the right to reject the customer's choices. The customer could then select the three three alternatives. And then Hoover also has the right to reject the three alternatives. Uh, and if they don't work, the customer is out of luck. Anyway, as we went on, Hoover advertised the promotion heavily in newspapers and TV commercials saying two free flights, unbelievable. By 90, late 92, products flying off the shelves and sales projections back on track. Then this is where they made the mistake. So, you, so right now, it's not the mistake. This is where it is. They decided to then up the ante. 
And on the 1st of November 92, they expanded its free ticket offer to include flights to America. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. Under a new promotion, that same £100 Hoover purchase could net a UK-based customer two free round-trip flights to New York or Orlando, a package worth £600 plus then, or today £1,200 or $1,355. When Hoover ran this by risk management professionals, the company was warned it would be an absolute disaster. (laughs) (laughs) To me, it made no logical sense, recalled one of the consultants. Having looked at the details of the promotion and attempted to calculate how it actually worked, I declined to even offer risk management coverage. Hoover chose to ignore this, and they proceeded based on these two fatal assumptions. They thought only a small fraction of purchasers would actually jump through the hoops necessary to redeem the flights, customers would spend more than the £100 minimum offsetting the cost. We're getting to it now. Initially, things went really well. Department stores all over the UK became an uncivilised scene as thousands of people rushed to buy the cheapest Hoover products they could find. In the middle of a recession, shops were selling out of £120 vacuum cleaners and Hoover had to put factories on seven-day overtime shifts to keep up with demand. (laughs) But as paying customers would soon find out the deal was something of an illusion, as free flight entries ballooned, Hoover began to realise its mistake. Sales soon outpaced Hoover's projection by 10 times. An estimated 300,000 people bought qualifying products, which meant 600,000 flights that Hoover would potentially have to pay for. And contrary to its projections, customers were not spending significantly more than a minimum £100. The math was concerning. On the sale of a £119 vacuum cleaner, Hoover made £30 profit. The two free flights came in at at least £600. They spent that... (laughs) (laughs) This meant that each customer who went through with it was going to cost Hoover £570. Though the company generated around £30 million in gross sales, the cost of the flights alone was conservatively estimated to be more than £100 So basically, kind of like you said in the last one, Hoover did everything they could to fleece customers out of the free flights. It claimed that thousands had failed, uh, had filled in the forms incorrectly, it wrote back offering flights that departed from airport hundreds of miles away from the customers' homes. It sent out request forms on Christmas Eve, hoping mail closures would cause people to miss the 14-day deadline. Customers who'd followed all the rules were told their letters had gone missing or they'd failed to spot some arbitrary deadline buried in fine print. And basically, they were trying to dissuade customers uh, from going on because each time they go, it costs Hoover money. So yeah, news soon broke that not one single flight be granted and thousands of angry customers began to take action. There was a group formed. They said, we don't want blood. We just want our tickets. And there was in June of 93, 42-year-old Dave Dixon took a more dramatic measure. Angered that he hadn't received his free flights, he decided to hold a Hoover delivery van hostage in his driveway. <laughs> It remained blockaded by his horse truck for 13 days until a high court finally ordered its release. (laughs) Yeah, as the crisis made international headlines, Hoover tried to shift the blame to some of its executives. It fired the president of the UK division along with two other senior executives and announced a plan to invest £20 million into free flights funds. But basically, it wouldn't be enough to to fulfil it. And by the end of ninety three. Hoover was posting 23.6 million in losses on 390 million pounds of sales. And basically, yeah, it, it fell out of, obviously from then it fell out of favor and struggled to, to recover. The corporate parent, US-based Maytag, was ordered to shell out $72 million on flights for some oh, 220, yeah, yeah 220,000 customers. 
or it would have been the equivalent, sorry, of 72 million. And even then, another 300 to 350,000 customers never got their offer. Hoover Europe, so shattered from the old deal in 95, was sold off to an Italian competitor, Candy, which I didn't know, for $106 million at a loss of $81 million. The company's share market, once over 50%, dwindled to less than 10%. Worse yet, a glut of unwanted, unused second-hand Hoovers purchased by people just for the free flights flooded the market, meaning that people weren't buying new ones because <laughs> there were so many good second-hand ones. <laughs> Brand new second ones, tag still attached. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. Do you know what the funny thing is? Is like, how did they not think to themselves? Because let's think about it. If you did just wanted to go away on a holiday, you're basically telling me that for £100, I can get return flights to the States. Well, initially it was Europe, which you think, okay, that, that, yeah, that seems yeah. like it was made sense. But yeah, to the States, which was then £600 plus. Yeah, this is what I mean. So you're turning around to all everybody that ever sees that advert and says, we are giving you £500 for nothing. Yeah, And so I just don't understand how you can't think that hundreds of thousands of people are going to take you up on that offer. Yeah. I don't know, it just doesn't make sense to me. They thought, oh, people wouldn't go through with all the paperwork. But we've seen here in recent times, you know, when you can get the cash back when you buy a mobile phone, you have to like yeah. send in receipts. People do that because they want yeah. that money. That's yeah. the reason they've chosen that. And, and secondly, they thought they would spend loads. But it'd be like saying, I don't know, if I said to you, you know, I sell products up to a thousand pounds, but if you would spend 50 pounds with us, you get entry into this lottery. You're going to spend the fifty pounds. You're not going to spend a thousand pounds. You are going to buy that bare minimum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. So, yeah. Again, very good offer. Sounded like it was great. Is then they started to get too cocky, and that was a downfall. I mean, like like you said. I mean, come on. Did you not think people were going to? Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, to Orlando or New York. You, of course, people were crying out for that. But again, like, why did it feel like companies in the 80s and 90s just didn't look at their books and think, hmm, how are we going to balance them? <laughs> One that, but also two, sorry, yeah, they did go to that risk management consultant who yeah. said no. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I mean. They, they literally turned around and said, this is a fucking terrible idea. Do you know how bad of an idea this is? Yeah. And they turned around and were just like, yeah, fuck it. Doesn't matter. Like, how, I just don't understand. Like, what's the point? What What was the purpose of turning up at their door? What was the point in going there? But again, it's the arrogance. They had 50%, but also they thought, they would screw the customer because it was like, yeah, we're going to make it as difficult as we can yeah. for them. So we're yeah. offering all this shiny new gift, but we need you to do. We need you to do a hundred things. And then it was like they said, posting things out on Christmas Eve to make sure that it didn't arrive in time. You yeah, know, it's that's fucked up. Underhand, that's fucked underhand. Up. Did they ever get taken to court? Then do you know what? I don't. Well, I guess not. But I think because they then got sold off and they made so much loss. Do you know, I, I haven't followed that up, but yeah. Because but, but, basically even the British royal family withdrew the company's royal warrant and mark of recognition for trusted companies. So I think they were just disgraced. And like we said now, that Hoover are still about, but I don't know anyone who's got a Hoover. Yeah, I mean, every, do you not have a Henry Hoover at such like somewhere? Uh, I don't know. No. Oh, see, uh, Henry Hoover's because they Hoover everything. They Hoover everything. <laughs> yeah. The Hoover, if they wanted to release an advert, could turn around and line up all of these other brands, right? And turn around and like make a pun on the fact that everybody calls it Hoover, even when it's not, because you know, do you know what I mean? That's the thing. It's amazing because we do. We still, to this day, call everything a Hoover. Yeah. You don't say, I'm going to get the Dyson out. Yeah. yeah I'm going to get the vac out. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that that's my last main in-depth one. I've got a couple of quick fire ones, but have you got have you got anything else? I tell you what, then I've got two because they're both by the same company. One of them is really just a tweet gaff, and then the other one's an actual like marketing gaff. 
what did I? All right, have you got one by Walkers? No, I don't know. Okay, we'll do that. Mine are Burger King. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one by Walkers, which I think in America, I think they're called Lay's. Yeah. So they are, yeah. they're a crisp or a chip, because, you know, we've got to make sure we, a chip company, a crisp company, we're, we're, we're British based. So they did, uh, and you probably remember this when I say, it, they did in, um, oh, I don't have the year, but it was only a few years back. It was a social media campaign where customers submitted selfies for an opportunity to win tickets to a sporting event. Yeah, yeah. And Gary Lineker is obviously the face of walkers over here. So it, it was a great idea. However, some people submitted pictures of dictators, serial killers and criminals, <laughs> which then ended up then being published. So I think there's a picture. If you look it up, there's a picture of Gary Lineker. You know, he's holding, ultimately he's holding what looks like a big selfie and then they're going to superimpose it. But he's he's holding a picture of Fred West. <laughs> <laughs> And who, for anyone who doesn't know, was like a serial killer. We actually covered his case <laughs> it, with the uh, sugar-coated murder. So you go, if you go listen to that episode. Yeah, basically the end result was of, was a failure to audit the pictures before publishing it and created a PR nightmare for the company. But yeah, if you can have a look, you'll see, yeah, um, it was Gary Lineker holding up pictures of, yeah, serial killers and, and things. Can I just say, that reminds me of, do you know, in the pandemic when sports stadiums were putting, like, cardboard cutouts <laughs> yes. for people? And, like, I, I, I can't remember. I think it might have been Leeds United literally had a cardboard cutout of Osama Bin Laden sat in the stand because somebody had submitted that as a picture. And I just think to myself, I'm like, why is nobody vetting these? Like, who's actively printed it out, walked it to a seat and not recognised who that is? Like, <laughs> you also... It with all, all sorts of people, wasn't it? Well, you you also get it here don't you don't you when people tweet celebrities and say oh can you, someone's gone missing or um it's my mate's birthday or, or he's having a really bad time can you retweet and it's a picture of like jimmy savile or something yeah isn't it? yeah all right let me do one one quick one before we go to yours it's parker pen and this there, oh, there's wow. loads of these right it's a translation one so they come up with a slogan that said it won't leak in your pocket and embarrass you However, the company thought that the Spanish for embarrass was embarazar, if I've said that right, which actually means to impregnate. So when the slogan was translated in Spanish, it read as it won't leak in your pocket and make you pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Again, for a company known for calligraphy, you feel like they should have had just better than Google Translate turn up on their phone. Oh, can I do one more then? Because it is yeah, translation on, as well. On. Honda. This is Honda. In 2001, Honda introduced their new car, the Fitter, F-I-T-T-A. Yet if the company had taken the time to understand the cultural and linguistic nuances of their new market, it would have noticed that Fitter was an old crass term that referred to female genitals in Swedish, Norwegian and Danish. And the car was then renamed to the Honda Jazz. <laughs> Oh, my God. Right. I've got two from Burger King. Um, one of them's just a tweet fuck up, really. So this was on International oh, Women's Day say. in yes, 2021. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Burger King, obviously, International Women's Day. A lot of people turned around and a lot of companies turn around and have something to tweet and have something to say. Burger King with a simple tweet. Women belong in the kitchen. Followed by a tweet that then says, if they want to, of course, yeah, only 20% of chefs are women. We're on a mission to change the gender ratio in the restaurant industry by empowering female employees with an opportunity to pursue a culinary career. Now, what do you think the problem was? Well, the problem is when you release one that says women belong in the kitchen, that's just going to be seen as sexist and... 
And it's also the only tweet anybody saw. So it was favorited 500,000 times and retweeted 274,000 times with 46,000 replies as of the date of the article, which was um, last year. And they turned around and said, we're proud to be launching a new scholarship program which will help female Burger King employees pursue their culinary dreams. But obviously, nobody's acknowledged the two tweets underneath because they tweeted them out afterwards. Somebody actually proved that you could fit the women belong in the kitchen and the second tweet in the same tweet as well. So they knew what they were doing. And do you know what's difficult is in and of itself, I understand why they did it. And I think it was a good, I think that the person that came up with the idea, I think they did have a good idea. I just think that, you've got to be careful because it's how it's going to be perceived, isn't it? So I think the reason this went down so negatively is because in the responses, there was like abusive messages about women and people basically turning around and being like, yeah, they belong in the kitchen because these people hadn't seen the other tweets. So then obviously it was just like a, a, a just a chain of like messages about women belonging in the kitchen, basically. It did capture attention, obviously. And then Burger King obviously put a retraction out later on that said, we hear you, we got our initial tweet wrong and we're sorry. Um, They deleted their original tweet, apologised, and then just promoted their culinary scholarships uh, for for women programme that they had. But yeah, bad fuck up. It's kind of like one of those things that never needed to happen because it just didn't need to be done that way. It's such an avoidable thing, isn't it? Yeah. And again, I feel for them because they were trying to do a good thing. But yeah, spectacularly fucked it up. It's it's like you said, the fact that someone proved you could get the tweet and the subsequent one in one one tweet. There was no need because it would still be attention grabbing because the first line would still say yeah. women belong in the kitchen. But then you quickly follow it up with the yeah. if they want to or any anything else. It yeah, it see if it was a visual advert. It'd be different because you probably have the context. You could get more, like if it was a poster. But a tweet, yeah. we've said so many times before, like even with or newspapers, like retractions and or apologies for incorrections. Nobody ever does the legwork to find the next things. All they see is it retweet. Like if I follow Burger King, I might see one out of every ten of their tweets. But if yeah. everyone on my timeline is retweeting it and liking it, I'm going to see that one so yeah. many, so much more. And yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's an unfortunate one. It's an unfortunate one, that one. Yeah. Somebody did turn around and draw parallels as well between like that and Instagram. So do you know in Instagram, you can turn around and post images that are all in a series. So you swipe through them because it's all one post. They turned around and said, if Burger King had put those tweets, but in text images on the same Instagram yeah. post, it probably would have worked because people would have scrolled through the post because it's the yeah. same post. But yeah. because Twitter doesn't work that way, that's why it backfired basically yeah and also they knew what they were doing because that initial tweet they knew is an inflammatory tweet yeah which is why yeah. they done it yeah it's the unfortunate thing is like you said no one then will read the follow-up or see the follow-up so it's not like they could say they didn't know like the the kendall jenner one where she said she didn't know the outcome she might not have known the outcome yeah. a little bit of thought however this one Whoever was doing it knew exactly they were going for the shock tactic. But yeah, absolutely. Like I said, Twitter probably just isn't the right right medium. Yeah, it was it was right idea, wrong platform. Yeah. Um, and then the second marketing fail from Burger King um, is to do with a campaign advert that they run. Um, and this was really a jab at McDonald's, um, if I remember rightly. So this was in 2020, early in 2020. And they posted a video on YouTube of a Whopper burger basically decomposing and growing mouldy. 
And then they launched a number of campaign posters, which had like the Whopper Day 28 with mold and shit all over it. And it says the beauty of no artificial preservatives. And it's basically a kick because I think at the time McDonald's were going through a thing with all of the preservatives that were in okay, their burgers yeah. and all of the chemicals and all of the preservatives and shit that was in their products. So Burger King were like, well, we're going to prove that our products are natural because they <laughs> decompose. Yeah. When in reality, no <laughs> fucker wanted to see a moldy burger. <laughs> <laughs> so like i i just don't i just don't understand like i don't understand what was going through their mind our burgers go moldy it's just like no people like the fact that they can put their mcdonald's on the kitchen counter and have it the next day with no issue people like that like it's almost like a fad thing isn't it and burger king put out a load of posters literally with their burgers growing mold thinking <laughs> oh you know what that's really gonna want to make people walk into a burger king it just draws such negative connotations <laughs> because i wouldn't look like That's imagine if your favorite, yeah. Imagine if your favorite restaurant, like Krispy Kreme, all of a sudden turned around and started posting pictures of moldy donuts and turning around and being like, <laughs> "We don't use any preservatives." I wouldn't want any more fucking Krispy Kremes, would I? It's just a weird, it's weird imagery to use, and it went down like a sack of shit because nobody <laughs> thought it was a good idea, and all it did was make people vomit. Um, yeah, it was, it was awful, awful, awful marketing. I get the idea behind it, and it would work in. If it was a TV segment, you know, like in yeah. a cooking segment or a health segment, or if it was on the news in a science section, or or even in a newspaper article, but you're advertising your products being mouldy. Yeah, I've never looked at a burger, a, a mouldy like a bit of bread, and think, oh, I really want to eat that bread now because it's mouldy. Do, do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like they could have done like a whole piss again. They could have done like a piss take advert where they had like somebody turning around and finding what they didn't say was a McDonald's burger, but they indicated was a McDonald's burger, like in as a fossil or something like that. Because it's like, oh my god, what was this poisonous thing? Or aliens finding it? Or do you know what I mean? That it could have been such a good parody, and they didn't do it. Instead, they posted pictures of their own mouldy food to the world. It's yeah, just, yeah. It, it just makes no sense to me. Yeah. Makes no sense. You could have jumped on the preservative thing a lot more than... Because basically, to me, in my head, rule number one of, of advertising is don't degrade your product. Yeah. And that's what yeah. they've done. Yeah, yeah. So, like, oh my God, do you know the one I've really missed off on this? A really famous one here is, do you know the Ratner's story? No. So Ratner's was, I don't know if they're still about, I don't think they are. They were a high street jewellers in the UK. They weren't like an expensive one. I think they were like affordable. And the chief exec in like a meeting or a business conference called the products crap. Yeah. I actually think he said like this crap. That broke out and then basically shared plummeted customers turned away because they said what? So I'm going to come to that store and buy what he's just described as crap. And it destroyed the brand. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I'm saying here. That's what Burger King have ultimately done, haven't they? They in a, in what they thought was a clever move, they've shown their products to be a horrible thing. <laughs> Astonishing. <laughs> if you um if you want to finish on one as well, we can circle back to Pepsi because this is a very, very quick one that I've got. Well, I've got one more. Should I do mine okay, yeah, and you do yours? Yeah, do you do yours? Very quickly. I kind of mentioned this briefly in our video game controversy one. Electronic Arts, this was in 2008 brought London traffic to a complete standstill uh, with a publicity stunt for a recently released game at the time called Mercenaries 2 World in Flames. To promote the game in which mercenaries battle for control of fuel supplies, EA commandeered a gas station to give away £20,000 worth of gas. Drivers rode off with £40 worth, $70 per person in their tanks. According to UK publication The Guardian, however, the stunt went unappreciated by many as the roads got gridlocked so commuters couldn't get anywhere and police 
even asked EA to disband the stunt after only a few hours when a major junction became obstructed by traffic. Yeah, basically, the Guardian's report also says that uh, sort of polit- a politician, I think, at times of that area called on EA to apologise. Trying to recreate Venezuelan-style fuel rights on the streets of London is completely irresponsible and downright dangerous. Whilst the lucky few might have got some free petrol, hundreds of residents have faced misery on their daily journeys this morning. <laughs> basically, and you'll see pictures. There were just queues of cars and it just bought the whole area. There was just loads of cars queuing to get their free and then- petrol. And I know that like forty pounds of petrol is nice, but would you wait for hours for forty pounds <laughs> worth of petrol? Like, there's got to be surely like a risk reward thing. Um, and the fact that they've publicised it again, surely it would have been better to have just commandeered the petrol station and then anyone that turned up for fuel just to pay for it, rather than turning around and saying you'll get free fuel if you come here or buy the game, send in a receipt, do a Hoover thing, buy the game. Oh my god, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. first, and the first, you know, because I don't want to lose money, the first ten thousand people get forty pounds of. Yeah, or you sell like 5p off fuel fucking tokens with <laughs> yeah. your game, don't you? You just turn around and say, do you drive? Here's a 10p off token. So whilst, again, whilst it's not massively bad one, it's just another funny one where companies think, oh, I've had a great idea, and then just cause misery to a whole area of London. <laughs> right, sorry, let's hear your one. So mine's Pepsi. So this is a um, Halloween advert. So I think this was in 2013. I don't know if you um, know about this campaign. So... Pepsi posted a picture of a Pepsi can wearing like the Coca-Cola cape almost. You know, like a kid would wear like a cape at Halloween as like a character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it says in the advert, we wish you a scary Halloween. That's it. So it's like Pepsi dressing up as a monster because it's dressing <laughs> up as Coke. Yeah. What Coca-Cola did, right, is because the the advert makes it look like the Pepsi can is wearing a cape. Coca-Cola took exactly the same image and background and changed the text and just said, everybody wants to be a hero. Brilliant. It is absolutely amazing. I don't know if we can tweet a picture of this out and I'll try and send it to you actually because it's an unbelievable campaign. And I just thought to myself, I was like, the people at Coke are so good at their jobs. They've looked at that advert and in five minutes decided how they're going to shut down Pepsi. It's absolutely brilliant. And again, another reason as to why are the Pepsi marketing department getting paid the money that they do <laughs> yeah because when you were reading that i was thinking yeah because obviously coca-cola's red that would look like um superman's cape so, yeah that's exactly yeah. <laughs> what people said in the responses as well people were like why did pepsi literally give them the idea because looking like a cape it makes the coke look like it makes it look like you're dressing up as superman <laughs> but also makes it look like you're dressing up as coca-cola <laughs> yeah this is what i mean it's like this is what i'm saying like it's weird it was just a weird weird marketing decision i don't understand what drew the inspiration for it but yeah huge backfire it makes no sense and kudos to coca-cola so coke we, we're still work the mcdonald's uh sponsorship didn't work out so coke if you want to if you want to get in on the casting view sponsorship we're here for you but like you said how how quick they were to do it and they don't even have to come up with anything all they're doing is taking someone else's exactly they use exactly the same (laughs) advert it's absolutely hilarious absolutely hilarious and that's what i do like on say twitter what you can get on twitter i love it when different companies do tweet each other and get into like (laughs) it's often friendly it's not often bad wendy's are quite good with it i think the uh the chain in america 
Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Specsavers over it. here often. Yeah, Tesco were quite good as well. Tesco were good with it. I remember as well, one of the best tweets I ever saw, sorry, we're going off on a bit of a tangent now, <laughs> is when somebody tweeted at Tesco, they were like, does anybody actually use your shitty mobile services or is it just me that can't get a signal? And it was a picture of a guy like at prom surrounded by girls, like in, oh, in yeah, that prom yeah. picture. And it turned around and said, we don't know, or are you just Captain Friendzone or something like that? <laughs> it turned around and was like, it's just so brutal from the person sat behind the desk on the tesco twitter account like unbelievable but obviously these things go viral and people love it so you know well there was one recently i'm just trying to see if i can get it right it was a spec the reason i mentioned spec savers because there was one that happened a couple of days ago i know oh no it was um it came up on my facebook timeline but it was actually from may of 2022 now last year blimey i gotta get you saying last year so it was an online spat between friend of the show liam gallagher though i think they were arguing between so the liverpool defender was having a dispute with man city fan on twitter liam gallagher tweets what are you saying carry you and then puts a picture of a bell and the word end <laughs> and then jamie carragher responds by saying i'm saying you'll never win the champions league and oasis is shite compared to the beatles at work Spec savers follow up by saying, calm down, you've both got the same number of Premier League medals. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Amazing. You know, and, and to me, that, that feels like that's got to be the best job in the world, being a social uh, media sort of person for these companies who's just monitoring Twitter for somewhere where they can jump in and, <laughs> and, and, and dig in. Actually, maybe there's an episode on this. Maybe there's an episode on, on this, but... Yeah. Um, do you have anything else? No, no, that's everything for me. Like I said, there's loads that, that I looked at and thought, oh, maybe not for this episode, but we could probably get a part two out on this because there are some hilarious ones that are still massive fuck ups that would be brilliant to talk about. There's still a load more video game ones, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think what we're saying then, there's a fine line in advertising between genius and disaster. Is that what we're yeah. saying? Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. And um, and what we've realised is that line is basically the difference between Coke and Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that, Coke? <laughs> uh, okay. Right. Anything else? Oh, I, I forgot to say at the start, we did have... Josh Scar from Talking Smack is campaigning for someone to get you a new cat. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Maybe I should have seen a new cat into the new year because because mine's obviously fucking dead. Still, um, still, rip, yeah, rip, still. Rip, rip. But no, anything you want to say to anyone before we go? No, that's everything. If you are from the Pepsi department and you are listening to this, we're really sorry that we've ragged on you a little bit in this episode. We still would look for some sponsorship, or or if you've got the facility to drop off a Harrier jump jet to us, that would also be lovely. <laughs> Um, well, it, they'd have to drive it because it wouldn't be able to take off or land vertically. So, oh, of they, course, yeah, yeah, and they couldn't give it to us if it was being piloted by someone because obviously we wouldn't be allowed to own the pilot. <laughs> if anyone listening, if you have got um, any sort of stories or you've got any views on what we mentioned, love to hear them because I think we've ranged, we've gone a real span of some funny, embarrassing translation ones through to just disastrous image like your Burger King and even your your Pepsi one. Yeah, through to the the really sort of big ones in terms of money, in terms of the Pepsi one at the start, and even the Hoover one. But yeah, I'll I'll loop right back round to the beginning. If you haven't seen that documentary, like I said, I think it's called Pepsi. Where's my yeah? Pepsi, where's my jet? Yeah, oh, where's my jet? Do watch it. I think it's fascinating. All I'll say is yeah, welcome. You know, as we said, welcome to a brand new year of casting views. If you do like what you hear, please do subscribe where you can. Leave us a rating or or a review and if you want to get in touch with us tweet us at casting views or we are on 
you can get us on email at castingviewspod at gmail.com. And finally, we know there's a lot of podcasts from which you can choose. So we thank you for listening to Casting Views. If I want your opinion, I will give it to you. Come on, take what we've got, cause you need it. Don't make us get a sport.